Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I hope you had a fantastic week, and hopefully your upcoming weekend is going to be just as good, if not better, than your week was. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying, and I really appreciate you tuning in for today's episode. I have a ton of stuff that I want to go over. Bruins, Red Sox, Patriots, got a little bit of news out of Foxborough, and then I also want to touch on an NBA topic not revolving around the Celtics, I'll get to that later in the show, but right now, I appreciate you for joining me on Friday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk, and I really hope you enjoy today's episode, but before I dive into today's topics and get into the nitty gritty, the chitter chatter, I do want to ask you to make sure that you're downloading every episode, and if you're watching on YouTube, please leave a like on the episode if you did enjoy it. Subscribe to the channel if you're new or haven't considered yet, but also leave a comment down below as I want to hear your reaction, your feedback, your commentary to what I am talking about here on the show, and if you're listening on audio-only platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and also the new platform that I'm on, Syncify, I really want you to reach out to me through uh, social media, at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Had to put the ST instead of Sports Talk because I just ran out of characters to work with. They only give you 15, and Murphs Boston takes up a chunk of it. So, at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. Love to hear your thoughts, comments, concerns, reactions, anything in regards to what I'm talking about. So in efforts for me to not just talk to myself and just talk to uh, you with no feedback, reach out to me. I don't bite, but I would greatly appreciate your interaction as this helps generate what my main purpose of this show uh, to do is to generate discussion, debate, conversation. If we get into... uh, you an argument about sports, you know what? So be it. I'm ready to take some heat. I'm ready to take some smoke. Are you? But with all that out of the way, 
I do want to dive into the Boston Bruins uh, game last night that we saw, and it was a nail-biter game nonetheless. But first... That's right, baby. Game three. Huge game three dub. Fantastic game, yo. Just let me savor this for a minute. All right. So, in all seriousness, that was an intense game, an incredible game that honestly had us all clenching our butt cheeks, all on the edge of our seats, and to come out on top you really feel like you should have and it would have been so heartbreaking if you did not because getting that early goal uh, in the first period by Craig Smith it was like one of the you know first couple shifts and it is good to have him back not just because he scored the goal it you know it just happened to be him it doesn't matter if it was him or not but it's good to have him back because that second line with Hall and Krejci is so much better with him on the ice and you can see a total difference between that line in game two and in game three boy is it good to have him back the knee looks really healthy like i said smith with the goal four shots to go along with it and then the rest of the game was nails both goalies both defend uh defensive units lights out honestly i that was a pure pure hockey game the refs were letting them play. There was a couple cheeky penalties that, uh, you know, both sides kind of got. But you know what? It is what it is. And then speaking of penalties, I'll go into it more later. But that, uh, what was it, a tripping on Pasternak, I believe it was, with like 2.15 left to go in the game. And now they're on the penalty with a 1-1 game after giving up a goal. Oh, talk about butt-clenching, nail-biting, edgy-of-seat, sweating. That game was in that third period. Holy smoke. So, Tukarask had a shutout for the majority of the game. Just about until, like, the four-or-so-minute mark left in the third period is when he hadn't given up a goal. But before I get into all that, let me just go over some notables really quickly. Bergeron with an assist and four uh, shots on net. Uh, Grizzlick assist, one shot on net. Taylor Hall assist, one shot on net. Brad Marchand had the other goal, the overtime goal, with four shots on net. And Carlo, three shots on net. He also got knocked out of that game with a more than likely a concussion. With, was that in the second period, I believe it was? So Bruins are going to have to fill his shoes. Don't know the status on Kevin Miller yet. If he can come back, boy, would that be a nice little pickup right there. You know, Carlo goes down, but you're able to you know replace him with Kevin Miller. You'd like to have both of them healthy. But if you're going to lose them both, hopefully, and if you're going to lose one, hopefully the other can replace them. Krejci, five shots on net. And Krejci missed a couple open netters. I mean, I don't want to say they were open netters, but I mean, come on. He had the puck, and Varlamov just like threw his leg out there, poking the puck away from Krejci uh, a time or two. Absolutely unbelievable play by Varlamov throughout the whole game. And without him, the Islanders would have probably lost that game four or five to one. Not even kidding. Jeremy Lozon, who I said probably should have took a backseat in this game, and I still think that, got had three shots on net. Lazar, two. Pashnok only three shots on net. couple close goal, uh, 
couple of his shots were almost goals, but like I said, the play by uh, Varlamov, unbelievable. Mike Riley, who hasn't scored a goal in his entire career, regular season or postseason, had five shots on net. And I understand that he's not out there for his goal scoring, but this dude racks up a lot of shots. And I think the Bruins are trying to utilize him is to get the puck to the net where either a rebound or a reflection off a stick can get by the goaltender. I think that's what the main purpose of him taking five shots is. But when that doesn't happen, it's like, oh, five shots. My goodness. Richie with two shots and Chris Wagner with uh, one shot as well. That totals a, what was it, 41 total shots on Semyon Varlamov. 39 uh, physical saves, only allowing the two goals, one of them early, and then obviously the overtime losing goal for Islanders perspective and then the one goal for the Islanders came from Matthew Barzell like I said with three four or so minutes left to go in the third period absolutely suffocating goal to give up by the Bruins and it's just like what can you do what can you do so I did write down a few notes that I do want to talk about in regards to the game because being in the heat of the moment I wanted to make sure that I got you know my true emotions and my thoughts about what was happening down in real time instead of either going back watching the highlights or going based off a of pure memory. So I'm just gonna rattle them off. It's just, it's basically just like you know chicken scratch, like a recipe, right? That I just wrote down. So uh, point early goal by Craig Smith. I already kind of mentioned that it's nice to have him back in the lineup, not just because he scored the goal, but just because he makes that second line so much better. And Jake DeBrusque can go on the third line. I also tweeted out last night during the game is Jake DeBrusque is either bad because he's slow or he's slow because he's bad. And I'm still not sure which one is true, but I promise you it's probably one of them. Next point was weren't able to generate shots through one and a half periods. So yeah, the Islanders were cooking us in total shots. It was like 15 to like seven maybe at one point midway through the second period and it's like this feels like it should be flipped around the way that the Bruins like to play and the way that the Islanders like to play because going into the series and you know after games uh game one and they were saying they're like oh the Islanders are okay with not taking a bunch of shots they're comfortable uh, you know shooting the puck less than 20 times it's like I I can't get behind that because I'm just such a firm believer that if you just pound pucks on the net to the goaltender one two three of them are going to get by you're not going to have those chances unless you put the puck on the net 30, 35, 40 times. Uh, Tuka Rask ended up facing 29 shots and saved 28 of them at the end of it. But And I'll get into him in a little bit. But without Tuka Rask, you are not winning this game. That's just a fact. Uh, Bergeron was off on the draws throughout the majority of this game. And even the commentators made note about it, how he only had like two uh, face-offs during the first period and how he like, you know, one one lost one, but like only two in the first period. I feel like I, I wrote that down, but I didn't really notice how he wasn't out there for faceoffs. I just, you know, obviously in the middle of the game, Cassie's gonna go with whatever line he seems best for that situation. And I think as the game progressed, you know, Bergeron and that first line was out there more often, giving him more chances. I don't have the exact numbers of how many faceoffs he won and lost, but after they mentioned it, I was paying attention to it, but I just kind of felt and you know notice just a normal rotation among the four lines of forwards uh first power play in the early third looked so good so we didn't get our first power play opportunity until early in the third period i forget what the call was I'm tripping i believe it was i forget by who but it was a tripping i believe and 
that penalty, they didn't score. They got five shots on, on Varlamov, and it was intense. The passes were crisp. The shots were, you know, firm, direct, and they had a sense of urgency to really, you know, attempt to spread that lead to two from one. And like I said, they didn't capitalize by scoring a goal, but they felt like they just looked like they had to score a goal, and ultimately they didn't. But holy smokes, that it was just pass after pass after pass, and like the first unit for both the Islanders and the Bruins were out there for what it seemed like was a minute and a half, maybe a little bit less than that, and that's going to tire out, you know, the Islanders because I honestly think that being out on the ice for a long shift on defense is much more. Uh, fatiguing and tiring than it is for being on offense because at least on offense you can kind of control the pace of play and you can kind of take a few seconds off but on defense especially being on the penalty kill unit as I put on chapstick gotta have you know cannot have chapped lips cannot have chapped lips but yeah while while you're out there on the penalty kill for the Islanders only four of you guys in the tender it's going to be tiring and like, you know, typical shifts in hockey, a minute, maybe a minute and a half max. And with it's only four guys in the Bruins power play unit looking so good as it did. I think that really wore them down a little bit. I really think it wore down those Islander defenders and the Islander special teams unit. Next point shots in the third. Like I mentioned, it felt like, you know, through a period and a half, they had like seven or so shots and they ended up with 41. That third period, towards the end of the second a little bit, but mainly that third period, they were just pounding, pounding, pounding shots on net, on Varlamov. And like I mentioned, they would have lost that game 4-5-1 to one if it wasn't for him. He was spectacular for the Islanders. Absolutely spectacular. And I have to give credit where credit's due. If you watch that game, you saw the insane saves he was making to his left to his right high low stick saves he was aggressive with the stick you know snagging the pucks with the glove redirecting them uh in a way that could have you know, fucked him up a little bit but i don't really think you know hit he is not the reason why they lost this game and i'll get into marshan's overtime winning goal in a second but you know if I'm the Islanders, you want Varlamov in Game 4. I think he gives you their best chance, even though they have good goaltending by both Varlamov and Sorokin. But right now, when you're getting the goaltending from Varlamov, who is a potential uh, he's a Vesna finalist, you're going to stick with him. You're just going to straight stick with him. I mean, if you're the Islanders, you want him in net, and you got to try to find a way to get past Tuka Rask because as much as I'm you know praising Varlamov, Tuka Rask is up there as well. And if it wasn't for the goaltending, that was you know highly praised all night by the commentators could be a 5-4 game you know 4-3 kind of a game if it wasn't for the incredible goaltending that we saw last night uh Tuka Rask gives up bad not oh yeah the, the goal that he scored right I don't even know what I was trying to say but the goal it was such a bad goal so the puck went behind him and I it was uh who was it for the Islanders well I can't think of his name Matthew um Barzil got the puck behind the neck and saw Tuka Rask like sliding over to the left side of the post to look back, thinking that Barzil was going to go that way, but instead he went right and went to go for a you know a hook around shot, a reach around shot, and to you know get it in past Tuka Rask on the right side. And Rask honestly had no idea where it was, and when it was too late for Rask to slide over to the right side, he only had his his skate 
against the pole. And Barzo was able to just slap it, you know, the stick to puck against uh, Tuka's skate. And it finally, you know, squirted in the net. And uh, as that's, you know, yes, it's a shot. Is it bad goaltending? I I don't think it's bad goaltending, but it's not a bad, bad. It is a bad goal to give up, but I don't think it's bad goaltending. It just took a quirky bounce and he just didn't quite see where it is. Yeah, the blame is on him there, but uh, besides that goal, he has a shutout. And he played spectacular all night long. And on top of that, it was one early, I believe, in the first period. And then there was one late in the third after they tied it. Two breakaways. Two breakaways. I, I forget how they both happened. I, I think the, the second one, the one late in the third, hit off and, you know, was going for a pass, hit a skate, whatever, just squirted towards, you know, the Bruins end. And then the Islanders, I don't even know who shot it, got the puck. Tuka Rask comes out, you know, plays the puck and just hits him right off. Uh, I believe it hits him off the shoulder and goes up past the net. It's like you just not not Tuka. I don't say you is in Tuka. I mean you is in the Bruins. You just give up the game time goal with three four minutes left in the game, and moments later you're about to give up the game winning goal off a breakaway after you lost on a breakaway. Tuesday? Oh my god. I I was about to throw my computer out the window. I was about to shut off the TV. I was ready to jump out a window. Absolutely unbelievable. Not just stopping one breakaway, but Tuka stopped two. Two breakaways. One of them in the first. You, you had the goal so you can kind of recover from that. It would be tied at that point. But the one in the third when the game is already tied... With minutes left in the game after giving up a goal. Oh my god. S- potential series shifting play right there. I'm not even kidding. They put the puck in. They win that game. They're up 2-1. to one. Game 4 at home where they can win and go up 3-1. Or what happened. Tuka stops it. Game goes into overtime. And they Bruins win going up 2-1. And now Bruins have a chance to go up 3-1 in game 4. Holy smokes absolute it would have been so crushing it would have been so crushing if that went in and a goal like that unless Tuka just looked you know foolish on it wouldn't have been his fault because again it hits off a damn skate execute your passes whether it's vertical or horizontal from forward to forward line uh demon to demon demon to forward forward to demon. I don't care who it is goaltender to demon goaltender to uh forward Execute your passes. And this is something I didn't write down, but you know, thinking about it now as I'm just preaching about it, Bruins had way too many turnovers. Way too many turnovers in this game in all areas. And I really feel like this was something that was fixed for a good chunk of the game. But my goodness, early and late turnovers were a problem. Feels like for a good chunk in the second period, maybe early third, they had a good... Uh, handle of the turnover and the puck but my goodness turnovers are just brutal you're you're in the second round of the playoffs in the heat of the playoffs execute your passes please because if you if Lausanne executed his pass in game two that overtime goal on that breakaway wouldn't have been scored I'm not going to say the Bruins would have won or lost after, because you know obviously we don't know but oh my god 
could be talking about a 3-0 lead. We could still be talking about uh, you know, the 2-1 lead for the Bruins, or we could be talking about a 2-1 deficit for the Bruins. But execute your passes, please. And then Brandon Carlo's injury gets absolutely railed into the boards on a clean play. You can't be mad about it because how it was just a clean play. The guy, I forget who it was, playing the puck. I think it was uh, Clutterbuck for the Islanders. Just hit him into the boards. You know, his just face just kind of squished up against the glass before his body was able to kind of brace it, and he goes down. Carlo tried to get up, but he just struggled to get up. And then when the camera panned to him, when the play was dead, I, uh, the trainers were helping him up, and he just looked dazed. He looked so lost. And he leaves the game. It was on the second period, I believe it was. So Bruins were down to five defensemen for the rest of the night, which hindered them immensely, which could have been a game-losing injury for the Bruins because Carlo is your second-best defenseman, obviously behind Charlie McAvoy. And without Kevin Miller, you need Carlo. You need McAvoy. You need basically your whole defensive unit because of the lack of playoff experience and just the lack of depth. I mean, Kevin Miller, Stephen Camfer, John Moore, uh... Now Brandon Carlo, they're all injured. So you have more, you almost have more injured defensemen than you do uh, healthy defensemen at this point. So I honestly, I mean, I don't know the timetable for Brandon Carlo. Let's just look it up on Twitter real quick if we can find anything. Um, I, I doubt that he'll be ready to go for tomorrow's game. I really do. Um, hmm. Latest. Okay, from the Boston Globe Sports, Brandon Carlo, quote, feels good, says Bruce Cassidy, but his status for Game 4 is uncertain. So, okay, at least he feels good. I mean, if not Game 4, then maybe Game 5. Um, let's see. Brandon Carlo may have dodged a bullet, so maybe it's not a concussion, just, you know, a headache or whatever. Brandon Carlo day-to-day, says Bruce Cassidy. You know, I'll take that. All things considered without how that went, I will absolutely take that. So we're probably going to expect Brandon Tenorti in game four for the Bruins being back there. I, you know, I mentioned on hump days, I mean, duh, Wednesdays episode of Murph's Boston sports talk that I rather had Tenorti replace Lozon for game three, but it seems like Tenorti's going to have to be elevated as a injury replacement for Carlo. And that might mix up the defensive pairings a little bit. I'm not exactly sure. We still don't know the, um, the timetable on Kevin Miller. I just want to bring that up on Twitter as well. Let's see if we can get anything. Um, Kevin Miller. Because if Kevin Miller can come back, then that'd be huge. That'd be huge. And as I punch up the old Twitter machine, let's see, Cassidy, uh, this was tweeted out five hours ago by Ty Anderson with the blue check mark, of course. Cassidy, quote, We'll list Carlo as day-to-day. Kevin Miller skated this morning, so that's good news on that front as well. And that really seems to be it, really. It's just the fact that he skated this morning and things seem to be going well, which, honestly, I'll take it because that, that injury, oh, man, I don't I don't think it was a knee injury. It looked like lower, lower quad, really close to the knee, just kind of where there's no pads. Ugh, it looked gross. But, I mean... It's good to see him skating. So maybe if he's not ready for game four, maybe game five or six if the series goes that far. But at the end of the day, we just need to get healthy ASAP. 
and hopefully Carlo can, if not for four, hopefully be back for five. And the same thing for Kevin Miller, which may not be until game six if the series goes that long. But I'm really intrigued on what the defensive pairings will look like come game four, especially if Brandon Carlo is ruled out. Like I said, Jared Tenorti is more than likely going to be uh, elevated to the active unit. What is the pairing? What are they really going to look like? I'm just trying to... Uh, McAvoy and Grizzly probably is going to be your one. Uh, two, Lozon. Uh, no, Lozon would be on the third. With probably Tenorti. And then Connor Clifton. And why, why can't... Why am I blanking on... The, oh, and Mike Riley. Clifton and Mike Riley, maybe. Because Mike Riley was with Carlo. And do you put... Uh, or do you leave Connor Clifton with Lozon? Hmm. Let me know. Let me know what you think. You know, reach out to me on social media at Merz underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for sports talk. Reach out to me on social media, or if you're watching down, uh, watching on YouTube, comment down below. What do you think that the Bruins pairings will be? Because if Carlo is a no-go, Tenorti's going to slide in. And where do you put Tenorti? Do you just re- put Jared Tenorti where Carlo was and, you know, c- try to patch things up to keep it as normal as possible for the current state of the defensive pairings, or do you truly try to find the best pairing and the best matchup for you know how each player plays and to really complement your pairings respectively? I don't, I don't really know. That's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough, tough task for Cassidy to face. Also, I just don't know about Jake DeBrusk. He had no shots, no points. Can we put in Carson Kuhlman, please? Just give him another game. He's quick. He's fast. He can, you know, you know, fly on the ice. He can get to, you know, those 50-50 pucks. Really wreak some havoc back there. I think he would be a great asset to have, just because the Islanders are a more, you know, physical team that likes to hit you into the boards. And I think Carson Kuhlman can just really kind of skate and kind of neutralize that. Gives you just another, another little edge right there for your third line. But Cassidy has some decisions to make. He does. And then the last point that I, w- I wanted to mention, which I kind of already did, is Ras saves in overtime. Without him, you lose. The amount, the barrage that Tuka Rask faced in the early stages of overtime was unbelievable. The Islanders were prepared and wanting to win that game. And I've mentioned this pretty much since the podcast started, since this episode started, is without Rask, you lose unbelievable left right up down Tuka Rask was in the zone I've said this since the end of the regular season or towards the end of the regular season when Tuka Rask has his head on straight brick wall one of the best goalies in the entirety of the National Hockey League he had a little back thing kind of going into game three obviously we talked about that on Wednesday leaving game two couldn't tell couldn't tell in this game hopefully he is truly 100% and if that is the case I feel really good about the Bruins chances to going into game four potentially stealing game four or just simply winning game four coming back to Boston for game five in a potential elimination game but I do not want to get ahead of myself here I just want to stay focused about game three reaction reacting to that and looking ahead to game four and speaking of looking ahead to game four you know that I have to give you my three keys for the Bruins to win 
Game 4 in New York to hopefully put the Islanders on the brink of elimination, first key has to be defense, right? I'm just going to leave it at defense because no matter how the pairings come out, no matter who's out there, the defense is going to have to step up one way or another because as great as Tuka Rask was facing 29, stopping 28 shots, you just... I don't want to say you have to rely on Tuka Rask. And as a team, you should be able to rely on your goalie every every now and then. And is tomorrow a game you're going to have to rely on Tuka Rask? Maybe. Especially if Varlamov is in net going to play the way he is, you might have to rely on Tuka Rask for game four. Was game three... Relying, was the Bruins relying on Tuka Rask in Game 3? I don't think that so. I mean, obviously, looking back at it, they kind of did. But in the heat of the moment, I don't think they really relied on Tuka Rask because the offense still looked relatively crisp. Obviously, they had the turnover problems that we discussed. But overall, I felt okay about the offense. They had their moments. They had you know their shots. They were physical. The defense was really good. Obviously, up until Carlo's injury, and then even afterwards when they had the five defensemen, you could see that that was hindering them, but they were still able to hold their own, obviously, with multiple defenders having to take multiple shifts at pretty much throughout the rest of the game. Obviously, you know, players having to double shift, which sucks for hockey, but no matter how, who's out there for game four tomorrow for the Bruins on defense, no matter what the pairings look like, you have to step up and rise to the occasion because you know that the Islanders are going to come out gun-ho. Because if this is the last game in Nassau Stadium, because the Islanders are getting a new stadium next year, they're not going to want to go out on a loss. Because if they lose this game and then obviously lose Game 5, the series is over. And I'm sure they're not going to want to end the season and their stadium's life like that. Hence why they're going to come out with an incredible amount of energy. you got to match it in terms of physicality. you got to be able to brace for... You know, their top two lines being very good, at, respectively. So, I'm looking at the defense here. I'm going to be very critical about the defense because if the defense can't step up, then ah, it's, it's going to be a long rest of the series. And then if you're able to advance, whether you do play the Lightning or the Hurricanes, getting a little ahead of myself, but if you do play one of those teams in the next round, if you're lucky to advance, both of those teams are going to be challenging. And your defense may have to step up because you truly don't know how long Carlo's out for. You still truly don't know how long Kevin Miller is out for. And God forbid anything happens again with another injury. Things will get dicey and things will get scary. So defense is my first key. Number two, goaltending. I, I, I love what I see from Tuka Rask. I really do. But it's just stay consistent. Stay consistent. Keep your head on straight. Follow the puck. Pole to pole, you know, make sure you're sliding. Swallow the puck, you know, when the shot's on, don't allow any rebounds. Just keep it and go for the faceoff because if you if the Islanders are going to get the play from Varlamov that they're getting, then Tuka Rass is going to have to play just as good, if not better, for the Bruins to advance. So I am not complaining about Tuka Rask play. Obviously, I have been super appreciative and, you know, really commending his gameplay all series long. But Tugaras is going to have to stay consistent and keep doing what he's doing, only allowing one goal on 30 or so shots would or should get the job done for the Bruins in order for them to win game four. Number three, turnovers. Make sure you stop turning over the puck and giving the Islanders quick, 
immediate opportunities on breakaways or just, you know, turn the puck over in your own own end or in the neutral zone, like cut that down because it's going to put more stress on Tuka, more stress on your defense because when you think you're going out for a breakout, then you got to stop on a dime and go play some defense. It's like that's not how you generate offense. That's just, you know, pretty much putting your offense in the opposite direction, not just physically but literally. It's just, oh, man, just focus on the turnovers. Just try to cut back on them, and your offense should and will thrive from getting the extra opportunities that you should be getting if you don't turn the puck over. So I'm not going to pinpoint the offense because everyone handles the puck, offense, defense, and Tuka, but just focus on the turnovers, you know, pass the puck, uh, stick to stick, tape to tape, you know, whether it's a long or a short pass, just really focus on that because when you turn the puck over, the guy who's turning it over is more than likely going to be getting jammed into the board because of the Islanders' physical play. Therefore, it's going to take him a second to kind of get his bearings back to get into the play. And then by then, Islanders could be on it like a 2-on-1, a 3-on-2, whatever. And then shit can go sideways. So those are my three keys. Number one, defense. No matter how who's out there, how it happens, got to step up to the occasion. Two, Consistent goaltending from Tuka Rask or maintaining that consistent goaltending from him. And number three, limit the turnovers or simply just stop turning the puck over. Cease the turnovers and we'll be good to go for game four. So those are my three keys going into game four. Let me know what your keys are if you have any to the Bruins potentially, hopefully winning game four tomorrow in New York as they play the New York Islanders for game four of their best of seven series here in the second round with puck drop at 7.15 tomorrow. 7.15 tomorrow, Saturday night, puck drop in Long Island. Bruins, Islanders, huge series, man. This is huge. We got ourselves a doozy. So let's go win game four to not make this a best of three series going back home to game five at the Garden. Let's go home with a 3-1 series lead. Put the pressure on them. And hopefully you can close it out come Monday for Game 5. But I want to know what you have to say about everything I talked about in the Bruins. Talking about the Bruins literally just took 30 minutes or so. I know that was a massive Bruins segment. But going into the weekend, I do want to make sure I cover all my bases reacting to Game 3 and looking ahead to Game 4 as well. But don't be afraid to let me know what you think about it, whether it's on social media or down in the comments below on YouTube. I would love to hear what you have to say. Maybe I'm talking out of a paper ass or maybe I'm actually making some sense here. I don't know. I'm just a guy behind a microphone. My next point that I want to get into, the Boston Red Sox. Lost three of four games to the Houston Astros down in Houston. Pretty freaking ugly if I say so myself. Um, Why won't the games come up? I just had the link. It's like, we're having trouble loading. Why are you having trouble loading? Sports data is temporarily unavailable. Try reloading this page or check back later. Um, And I go to refresh it, and it's like, hmm, the Wi-Fi is down. Well, that's not good. Let me see if I can turn my Wi-Fi back on. Or connect to it, at least. Okay. Come on. Come on. Oh, here we go. All right. For some reason, my Wi-Fi wasn't connected. What the hell? Um, Okay, here we go. So... We were able to salvage uh, the game yesterday against the Astros 5-1. to one. I'm not going to go into it really. Uh, Martin Perez, 7 and 2 thirds innings. 6 hits, no earned, 1 walk, and 4 strikeouts. That's what you love to see from your starting pitcher. 
absolutely love to see that from Martin Perez. What an outing. I love starting pitchers going eight innings, or at least getting into the eighth inning. You just don't see that anymore. You don't even see the pitchers getting into the seventh inning anymore. Sometimes the sixth inning. But round of applause to Martin Perez. Adam Adovino finished that eighth inning with a third of an inning. And then Brandon Workman's back. Obviously, he was released by the Cubs or put on waivers by the Cubs early in the season. Red Sox snagged him, was in the, the minor leagues for a little bit, and now he's back. He had an inning yesterday where he gave up a hit, an earned run, and had two strikeouts. So hopefully, when you were up 5 nothing, good situation to put him into in a hostile environment. Good to see him back. So when this actually broke, I don't even know when the, the Red Sox signed him. Was it in May, maybe? I don't even know. April? I didn't really talk about it because it wasn't a major headline at that time. Obviously, with him being now up at the big club, good to see him back. People love Brandon Workman from the 2013 team, obviously from the 2018 team. And there's a little bit of thunder. I doubt the microphone picked it up, but there is some thunder rolling here in Rhode Island. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the power doesn't go out. Holy smokes, that'd be terrible. Uh, let me pause this and save it before anything was to freaking happen. And just like that, I'm back after an emergency save. Just wanted to play it safe, right? Um, to make room on the 40-man roster, the Red Sox optioned Colton Brewer to Worcester and then immediately designated him for assignment. Colton Brewer, Brewer sucks, man. He, he sucked this year. He sucked last year, too. He just doesn't have it. He's had his chances. Over his MLB career, he's pitched in 81 games. He is 2-5. and five. And he, uh, four games started, Who it was probably a bullpen game anyways, who cares, 91 innings pitch, 88 strikeouts, a 1.84 whip, and a best of all, 5.04 ERA and 91 innings pitched. Why was he on this team for that long? Holy smokes, like, come on, yo. His last seven games, get this. One game, one inning, four hits, four earned, three walks, one strikeout, seven whip, 36 ERA. In his last seven games, he just had the one game. I This is just well overdue, honestly. He should have been gone a long time ago, but finally, good to see him gone. And Brandon Workman's back. Really nothing else to talk in terms, about, in terms of the Red Sox. They have a massive series against the Yankees that I alluded to um, on Wednesday and also on Monday when I was looking ahead to the Astros and the Yankees series that were coming up. Red Sox-Yankees first pitch, 7.05, a little more than an hour's ways away. Uh, do we have starting pitchers yet? I am not able to see them on here, but that, you know what? That's okay. I don't care who's starting because no matter who it is, it's a massive weekend. Yankees are four and a half games back after their series with the Tampa Bay Rays. You, the Red Sox, are still two games back from them. So whether you win the uh, series or the Yankees win the series, the, the standings could be in a shift. They could be in a shift because the Rays are down in Arlington for their series against the Rangers, so they'll probably sweep them there. But, oh, man, Rays are good. 7-3 and three in the last 10. You're 5-5, five and five and the Yankees are skidding a little bit, 3-7. and seven. But I mentioned this on Wednesday. This is what you expect, or this is what we expected from the American League East was three teams, the Rays, Red Sox, and Yankees, to all be in it all be close in the in the division and that's exactly what we got if anyone cares the Orioles are 16 games back from the Rays for first place but super brief Red Sox minute really nothing to look ahead to I kind of talked about it on Wednesday and I guess I'll elaborate it really quickly 
obviously, besides it being a huge weekend for the Red Sox, probably a just just about or even bigger series for the Yankees. First series for the two teams this year. We won't see the Yankees again until the end of the month where the Yankees come in town for a three-game series on the 25th, 6th, and the 27th of June where they come to Fenway Park. Real quick, what am I looking forward to? I'll do some. I'll do three keys for the the Red Sox versus the Yankees this weekend. Sure, why not? So key number one, pitching. Yankees, their lineup is struggling. Their lineup is underperforming. But at the end of the day, they still have some good hitters that can hit the ball and they can hit it far. You have to have good pitching. And what you saw from Martin Perez in his start yesterday against the Astros, you probably need something very similar to that all three days. Because if not, I mean, you're probably going to get swept because if you don't get good pitching night in and night out in this three-game series, at least six innings from your starters, then forget about it. Then forget about it. Uh, second key, a hot offense. I don't, I don't expect the uh, Red Sox to score like you know 15 runs all three games, but if we can get some you know offense going early in the game, set a tone so the pitcher can get comfortable or at least you know feel okay about having a, a lead early to kind of settle them in, that would probably be nice on both ends for both you know the players playing in the field and also the pitcher as well, knowing that they have a lead, a little bit of wiggle room, you know, not as much pressure is on if it was you know a 0-0 game or if they were losing by a run or whatever. So hopefully we can get the offense to get a quick, hot start early, relatively it'd be nice in all three games maybe you can draw first blood in all three games and really set the tone for each of them individually but that is my second key for the Red Sox that I am looking forward to in this weekend series and the third one I don't know um I don't know third key for this series you know I mentioned pitching uh I guess I mentioned starting pitching uh, hot offense. I know the defense has been kind of a problem a little bit uh, for the Red Sox, and especially Raphael Devers. But I don't want to single him out, and I don't want to just say defense as a whole because I feel like that's potentially unjust. Um, bullpen work. I th- you know, let's go bullpen. You know, let's go bullpen because bullpen is obviously a massive element in today's game, right? Starting pitchers go four or five innings. Bullpen finishes the rest of the way. I hate it, but that's how it is today. If we can get our bullpen to come in whenever they do and to hold it down, say they pitch 12 innings of work over the three games, let's give up like two runs. That's it. I think that's that's fair. That's doable. And if that's the case, then I really think that puts the Red Sox in a good position to hopefully win the series obviously a sweep would be nice but I think a sweep is greedy but this series really got to focus on the bullpen I you know I've been mentioning and talking about the bullpen here and there and I really think they've been doing solid all year long but I really want to see them step up to the challenge when they face the Yankees for the series because obviously the bullpen's been a problem for the Red Sox for a couple years now probably since 2018 when they won the World Series where their bullpen was electric and lights out but try to find that groove against uh, you know, your arch rival, the Yankees, and just set the tone not only in the series but for the season. The season as well because when we look at you know potential playoff teams come down the stretch, 
the pitching and specifically the bullpen is usually something that a lot of people talk about first. Because if you don't have a good bullpen in today's game, you're not going to win well. Or you're not going to win much, I should say. So those are my three keys. Uh, starting pitching, setting the tone. Um, what was the second one? Oh, yeah. Offense getting to a quick, hot start. And then the third key is obviously the bullpen being able to hold it down, hammer the nails, and either hold the lead or keep the lead or maintain ball games if it's tied up when they come in. So those are my three keys for the Red Sox going into their weekend series against the New York Yankees. That starts tonight, first pitch, 7.05 in the Bronx. So Red Sox-Yankees and then Bruin Islanders. Got some Boston-New York matchups. Oh, and then I guess the Celtics lost to the Nets in uh, in the first round of the basketball playoffs. So you're going to get your, your good fill of Boston-New York rivalry. You're going to get a good fill of it, you know, this week or so. Or I guess, I guess last week and into this week. And also probably next week as well, depending on the situation between the Bruins and Islanders. But I am getting sidetracked. I did talk about, I did kind of allude to the basketball playoffs and... This is the topic that's outside of Boston that I wanted to talk about. And you may have guessed it and you may have not. But let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers losing Game 6 of the first round in the Western Conference to the Phoenix Suns as the Phoenix Suns beat the Lakers 113-100 in Game 6, winning the series four games to two. Wow. Honestly, did not see this coming. I know the Phoenix Suns have were you know hot towards the end of last year, obviously going 8-0 in the bubble. Uh, and then you know they were hot all year long. If you want to point to the young core that the Suns have, if you want to point to Chris Paul and the Chris Paul effect, fine. But wow. The two seed versus the seven seed, obviously two being the Suns and the seven being the Lakers. A lot of people still pick the Lakers to win. A lot of people probably pick the Lakers to win the finals. Not going to lie. And they get ousted in the first round. I am. I don't want to say I'm not surprised because I kind of am. But I also, I don't want to say expected this, but I also saw this coming because the Lakers have just been dinged up with injuries left and right. And LeBron was out for a good chunk of the year towards the end of the year. And the the Lakers were like, you know, 3-4 seed. They fall to the 7 in the playing game. Anthony Davis has been battling with injuries as of late. It's just, oh, man. And the Lakers, I would say that they're relatively a deep team. I mean, outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis, you have Marcus Saul, KCP. I still, he's still a meme in the NBA. You have Wesley Matthews who can shoot. Talon Horton Tucker who can play some defense. Kyle Kuzma who thinks he's better than he is, but he clearly sucks. Markeith Morris. Montrezl Harrell. I think they underused Montrezl Harrell this series and in the season as uh, in general. I think he's very good, and I think he got the short end of the stick for you know, when he signed with the Lakers. But losing this series in the first round. I'm not going to really talk about the ins and the outs of the games like I usually do with, you know, the Boston teams. I just really want to talk about this for one thing and one thing only. How does this affect LeBron James' legacy? The ever-ending debate between LeBron James and Michael Jordan will resurface, or probably has already resurfaced, obviously being a day after this game has happened. Uh, Happened on Thursday, recording on Friday, but you know what I mean. 
where LeBron James can't get out of the first round for the first time in his career. What does this do to his legacy? I'm going to give you a minute. Just think about that. I, you know, I don't really care what side of this debate you're on. If you're on team LeBron or team Jordan, I don't care. I'm not arguing that. I have my opinion. You have yours. Not arguing that. But what, regardless of where you're at, just try to put your personal opinion to the side and just look at it for basketball. You're just going to judge a basketball player for his accomplishments in this league. What does this round one loss do to LeBron James's legacy? To recap, let's see. Let's go over LeBron James's accolades really quickly. Really quickly. Not going to go you know, balls deep in it. Not going to be a LeBron stan or anything. But just to give you a clear picture, he's a four-time champion, four-time NBA Finals MVP, four-times MVP in the league, 17-time All-Star, three-time All-Star MVP, 13-time All-NBA. You get that. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But you get it. You get it. Five-time All-First Team, All-Defensive First Team. Just side note. What does this do? He finished this game 29 points, nine rebounds, seven assists in 41 minutes. The team lost by 13 points. I don't think Le- LeBron is not the reason why they lost this game. As great of a player as LeBron is, and he can carry a team. He can carry a team. But let's just not forget, he is 36 years old, but he's still a freak of nature. He is, seems like an ageless wonder at this point. And as great as he is, I still think, you know, with the supporting cast around him, that they were still should have been able to win this series. I'm not going to say that they, no, they could have won this series. I'm not going to say they should have, but they could have won this series. Anthony Davis injuries popping up on an untimely manner, but you still have a relatively deep team. But that Suns team, man, that Suns team is so good. Devin Booker drops 47 points in 46 minutes. The dude sat out for two minutes. That's it. That is it. 47 bomb from Devin Booker playing all but two minutes. Now, just to be transparent, I'm on Team LeBron. Okay, I think he's a better player in comparison to Michael Jordan. Just because of A, the longevity. B, LeBron has had such an impact for a longer period of time in, in his respective career in the NBA. Yes, he has lost a bunch of finals, but I mean, when you look at it, the four NBA finals, the four MVPs, the uh, finals MVPs, the four regular season MVPs, 17-time All-Star, 13-time first NBA, the accolades go on and on, and LeBron James made an immediate impact for the Cleveland Cavaliers when he first came into the league back in 2003, and he he didn't make the playoffs that year, but after that, he did. He took the the Cavaliers to the finals. What was it two thousand seven? Um, hold on. L- l- let me bring it up. Yeah, it was in two thousand seven. Just three years after. Oh, I guess two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand five, six, two thousand seven, whatever. For like three, four years. I I can't do math right now. Uh, wait, hold on. Three, four, four, five, five, six, six, seven. So yeah, four years. Okay. Michael Jordan didn't make the playoffs. Let's see. Michael Jordan came into the league in 84-85, and we would not see him win a round 
until, what was it, 1989? Nope. 1988, excuse me, when he won the first round against the Cleveland Cavaliers, ironically. And then LeBron James wouldn't win his first title until the 2012 finals after nine years into the league. And then Jordan wouldn't win his first NBA finals until, uh, when was it, 91, I believe it was? Yeah, 1991 against the, ironically, the Los Angeles Lakers, the team he plays, LeBron plays for now. You can look, you can finger point, right? You can like, oh, LeBron does this, Jordan does that. LeBron doesn't do this, Jordan doesn't do that, which is fine. But I just want to mention this. LeBron James lost his first first round playoffs in his career. Michael Jordan lost in the first round in 1985, 1986, and 1987. 1988, he would lose in the second round. 1989, he would lose in the third round. Okay. Just just a little context. 1990, he would lose in the third round again in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then we wouldn't see LeBron, uh, Michael Jordan lose in the first round again. He lost in the uh, he lost in the second round in 1995. But that's it. That's it. I mean, he's 6-for-6 six six in the NBA Finals. Uh, uh, LeBron is, what is he, 4-and-9? Four and, I don't even know what. Oh, four and ten. Sorry, he's four and ten. But I mean, ten, ten finals appearances. No matter if you hate the guy or not, but ten trips to the NBA Finals is unbelievable. Similar to Tom Brady, ten. Tom Brady has eleven trips to the Super Bowl now. But like a lot of people hate Brady, but he's seven for eleven in the Super Bowl. Eleven appearances, pretty freaking good. LeBron James has ten trips and he's only won four, but still ten is a lot. I'd rather make it and lose it than not make it at all, at least from my opinion. So at the end of the day, does this first-round exit r- ruin LeBron James's career legacy? I don't think so. I don't think so. It doesn't help, obviously. But would anything have hurt LeBron's legacy? Yes. If he sucked in this game, which he didn't, if he didn't make the playoffs, I would say that that would hurt his legacy, Absolutely. But he balled out, and I don't think his legacy would have been helped out unless he made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But then again, if he was to lost, uh, not the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm sorry, the NBA Finals, I am all over the place. I don't think his legacy would have been helped out unless he made it to the NBA Finals. Okay? But then if he was to lose the Finals to against the Sixers, the Bucks, the Nets, or whoever, then people are just going to be like, well, he made it to the finals, but he lost again. He's 4-11, and 11, this dude. He can't win, but Jordan was 6-for-6. Six six. It's like this. LeBron had made it five more times, though, if he made it this year than Jordan. So, I mean, the conversation can go back and forth all day and all night long, but I don't think LeBron's legacy would have been helped out at all unless he won the NBA Finals this year. It also would have hurt if he sucked in this game, didn't make the playoffs, or made it all the way to the finals and lost. So I think losing in the first round of this series doesn't hurt, nor does it help his case in the everlasting LeBron James or Michael Jordan argument. But guys, that's just my thoughts about this. You know, it's good to see the Lakers out. Obviously, being a Boston Celtics fan, you want the Los Angeles Lakers out of the playoffs, losing embarrassed, not making it at all. When they sucked and they were tanking, you enjoyed it because, I mean, I guess you were kind of in that boat too a little bit, but you had a little bit more early success. 
than they did. But, I mean, obviously, looking back at it, they've been able to win more championships since both of you guys started to suck. So, at the end of the day, that's just my thoughts, my opinion, my take, my reaction to LeBron James losing in the first round and also the other topics that we talked about today, the Red Sox and the Bruins. Oh, I also wanted to get into some Patriots stuff. Oh, I totally forgot about that. So, I saw... I got a little little thing on ESPN. Let me pull it up really quickly. That, hmm, where was it? ESPN reported at 1.54 in the afternoon that Cam fails to finish practice. And I didn't open it because I wanted to save it for the show. So let's talk about that right now. Oh, they're having trouble loading the article. You hate to see that. Oh, you hate to see that. Come on, load the article, please. Please load the article. Okay, so here we go. New England Patriots, this is from Mike Reese of ESPN. New England Patriots quarterback Cam Newton had his throwing hand examined by the athletic training and medical staff about halfway through the voluntary organized team activity on Friday and didn't participate in the rest of practice. Newton was seen flexing his right hand at times. He stayed on the field to watch the remainder of practice. With first-round draft pick Mac Jones, third-year player Jared Siddham, and veteran Brian Hoyer taking the quarterback repetitions in his place. In Newton's final drill of practice, quarterbacks were working on avoiding the pass rush, and to do so, they had to evade a soft bag tossed in their direction. It's possible one of the bags hit Newton's hand on his follow-through, although it was unclear if that was specifically what sidelined him. Newton was visited by offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels and veteran receiver Nelson Aguilar, among others, as he watched the rest of practice. Owner Robert Kraft also had a chat with Newton. After practice, Aguilar was asked what he saw when Newton showed him his hand. He said, quote, I'll let Cam speak on that, end quote. Professional. Respectful. Anyways, asked, a, asked how much the Patriots missed Newton's energy and presence at practice when he is sidelined. Aguilar said, quote, he's still around. He still talks to the wide receivers, talks to his teammates. You still feel him, man. That's why he's a great teammate, end quote. Friday was... The Patriots' sixth voluntary OTA and Newton had been practicing from the start of the offseason. On Thursday, McDaniels had noted how Newton has a, quote, different grasp of the offense, end quote, in his second year with the team, a result of being able to take part in the first full offseason in New England. Obviously, Cam Newton wasn't signed to be a Patriot until July of last year. There was no, it was limited preseason. There was no um, preseason games. He had COVID early on, just a lot of, you know, bad negative things for Cam Newton, potentially why he sucked, although I don't think it's entirely the reason why he sucked, but besides the point, he finally has a full offseason, OTAs, uh, training camp, preseason games, so he's going to be able to go through the full thing, and it's good to see that McDaniels is saying he has a different grasp of the offense, hopefully fully understanding and comprehending the Patriots offense. Uh, continuing with the article, when the Patriots selected Jones 15th overall in this year's NFL draft, coach Bill Belichick made it clear that Newton was still the starter. Quote, Cam's our quarterback, end quote. Belichick said at the time, quote, whatever position, whatever time, Jad or Mac are ready to challenge and compete, then we'll see how that goes, end quote. So Cam Newton exited with a little hand injury. I doubt it's anything important. But, you know, if especially it being his throwing hand, you have to be cautious. You have to take precautions, and you never know what could happen for a quarterback 
and their throwing hand, especially with Cam, who struggled to throw the ball last year, as myself, fans, the media, and a lot of people scrutinized him for. And hopefully, he isn't sidelined for all too long. Hopefully, he can get back at it, keep working out, and keep working on learning the offense and executing the offense. But I wouldn't take something like this too much. Or, or too heavy, I should say. I did want to talk about it, though, in case people do make a bigger deal about it than it should be. I just wanted to kind of go over it really quickly and be like, whoa, hold on. I think it's going to be okay. I think it's going to be okay. It's early June, has a couple months. A bag was thrown on his hand on his follow-through, and he's a, he's a tough cookie. I think he'll be okay. So don't look too deep into it. Cam Newton is still apparently the starter for the New England Patriots, but things could change between now and then. But that is going to do it for today's episode, guys. I really appreciate you downloading, listening, and enjoying. We had another lengthy episode today as we had to cover so much stuff in Boston sports. And also, we talked about a little bit of uh, Lakers stuff, which we don't like to do here on the show. But LeBron Jordan is a discussion that will always, always be talked about, just like in football where you got Brady and Manning. Brady and Montana and now people the young kids like to talk about Brady and Patrick Mahomes even so I mean guys let's just slow the boat here I did want to talk about that non-Boston topic because we are a uh, not only a Boston sports show but we also talk about major league-wide topics so thank you so much for joining me about my dis- our discussion about the Bruins about the Red Sox about the Patriots and also about LeBron as well I really appreciate you downloading, listening, and enjoying as always. And I hope you have a tremendous weekend. I think it's there's supposed to be no rain this weekend. A little bit of rain and thunderstorms, like I mentioned earlier in this episode right now. But Saturday, 88 degrees in sun. Sunday, 93 degrees in sun. And then Monday is going to be 91 degrees in sun. So go out, enjoy the great outdoors, download, listen, and enjoy while you have uh, your phone and your, your AirPods or whatever. But please have a great fun weekend. Get outside, get some sunshine, and do whatever you got to do between now and Monday's edition where hopefully, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about a 3-1 to Bruins lead going into Game 5 of their series. If not, we will be probably very upset about it. And I will be recording during the Bruins game on Monday. That is, I believe, at 7.30. I closed the tab out. Let me bring it up real quick. Bruins... Game 5 is at 6.30. 6.30 puck drop on Monday, June 7th for Game 5 of the Islanders Bruins series. So Monday's episode will be airing a little later as I'd like to record during the game so I can interact and react to the game as well as I've been doing throughout the playoffs. But folks, that's going to do it for this outro. I feel like I should wrap it up and stop yabbering. But Download, listen, enjoy as I greatly appreciate it. Reach out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for sports talk. If you are watching on YouTube, please, please, please like the video if you enjoyed it. Comment down below any thoughts, opinions, comments, concerns, whatever you may have. And also subscribe to the channel if you are new or haven't considered subscribing yet. Between now and Monday's episode, enjoy the weekend and I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, I love you, and I will see you.
save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 